0: This is William Del Pilar, and this is Points on the Board, and you are seeing us most likely at SportsGrumbleys.com, and I am here with my good friend, Big John. Big John, how's everything going tonight?
1: I'm doing fine, William. Ready to talk some football. Football. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. And most people know us by fantasy football, but at the end of the day, you and I are data guys. You're you're the big data guy. I'm just the data guy. <laughs> I look at past historical and I try to figure out projections and things right. like that. But what fantasy football does is makes you a better student of the game of football. True. I used to always look at these reporters with so much disrespect and just I loathe some of them because they didn't know their sport. They built relationships and then they would favor whoever they liked in the articles and bash whoever they didn't like. And half the story would be true. And the other half would be, well, it's kind of conjecture there. And it seems to be bashing the guy. So I used to always say I would match up a fantasy sports writer with any reporter uh, at any day. Now that was 10, 15 years ago. I'll give the reporters some credit when it comes to the numbers and understanding the numbers. They now start throwing those numbers around because the numbers don't lie. What is it? Facts. What's it saying? Facts. Something about facts. How's it go?
1: Oh, uh, facts don't change, opinions do, or something like that. Yeah, yeah there's no, uh, anyone. Uh, hire, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. The point is, is you can't sugarcoat a fact, and in, in the political world, boy, that's all they do. But let's right, get right, right down into it. You know, let's talk about some of the uh, battles, the injuries, the issues happening at, at training camp, and let's start out with Matthew Stafford. Now he's got what is considered a bit of a baseball injury, and this happened last year to Dak Prescott. And because it's two completely different sports, I guess, you know, it's a little different for the football player. And they are really downplaying it, Big John. But yeah. let me ask you this. The fact that there are questions, he could he could lead training camp fine, uh, for all we know. Right. Dak Prescott came back, he came back okay, you know. But what do you think of this affecting from the NFL perspective, the Rams? And what should the fantasy owner do?
1: Um, I really I, I haven't put too much stock in it to be honest with you. I I kind of think this is just preseason talk. And as we all know, in the preseason, you hear everything, right? Every rookie is is the second coming of of uh, name your favorite hall of famer. Uh every veteran is about to keel over. You know, that's the typical smoke screens you get out of training camp. Now <laughs> is there any real legitimacy or concern? I don't think so. If there were, you might see them giving, you know, more attention to a backup or or, or trying to figure out ways or, uh, to mitigate a potential Stafford absence, but I'm not seeing that. Um, I would take Stafford, like for fantasy purposes, I would take Sta- Stafford basically where you've had him. He's a top 12 quarterback. He's not top <laughs> five, you know, but I mean, that's about it.
0: So likely a mid-round pick is what we're looking at with Stafford. Honestly, guys and gals, I would just avoid them. Uh, 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 not because uh, – it's just it's a deep position, you know. And, and we're going to get into the newbie section. Yeah. But there's a reason you have tiers set up with your rankings. So if there's a question mark about one player, another player in that tier can fill the slot. It gives you the ability to uh, – I don't know the term, but gives you the ability to play around and not and not lose, lose uh, your shirt when the player you want is taken, you know. So so I'm with you, John. But at the end of the day, I still stay away from him just because of the deepness of the position. What about Josh Jacobs? Josh Jacobs. Uh, got a lot of reps in game one of the, piece, the first preseason game more so than, than, than normal. Uh, a lot of the critics were saying, Hey, he's on a trade block. He's on a trade block. He's on a trade block. I see it one of two ways and i hand it off to you. One, they are going to trade him. You do not play a what, four or five year veteran that many snaps, unless there's a reason. And most of the time it's to show other teams, look, he's healthy. He can play or two. It's a brand new offense. The running back position is a very tricky position in the Patriots scheme because of the blocking, the running, the passing. That running back does a lot early on. And then about halfway through the season and into the playoffs, the teams tend to lean on them more into into, uh, not a cowboy back, but they emphasize the rushing attack during the second half. So I I don't know which one it is. Uh, What are your thoughts?
1: I, yeah, I think you broke it down nicely there. I, look, I honestly think it's more the Josh McDaniels system, right? Um, it's a new system. Think about all those teams in New England. Can you Nate, Can you tell me who the bellwether running back was in New England the last five seasons? Probably not because it's always three or four of those guys. It's fantasy death. Uh, one guy's the pass catcher. One guy's the third down back, so to speak. One guy's the goal line back. One guy's the between the 20s back. And then halfway through the season, they rotate all of them again. You know, it's it's just it's just their philosophy, uh, going back for years. Like honestly, William, who's the last grinder that they had? Corey Dillon, probably Odin.
0: But even then, that was limited use.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't even say grinder.
0: But he was part of that limited use towards the second half of the season. They wanted to wear teams out, and for the record, he touched the ball seven times, caught two passes, and five. But the whole issue is that literally everybody else sat. They traded, uh, they drafted a running back in the fourth round, and they signed the two. One. Yeah. So, as you said, a situational committee, or they're looking to trade him, and well, because of that, I I have to hold off on on Jacobs.
1: Yeah, I I I downgraded him a little bit. Look, just talent wise and production wise, I like Josh Jacobs as a player. Um, his situation just like uh, look unfortunately especially with running backs uh, in fantasy football I prize carries I prize touches above all else right I'd rather have a guy who gets 20-25 touches a game I don't care if it's especially in PPR leagues point per reception leagues I couldn't care less if they carried the ball or caught the ball as long as they get 20 to 25 combined touches a game um, th- those are the guys I'm picking, right? It's the reason you stay away from guys like Kareem Hunt as your primary back. It's the reason you stay away from uh, Miles Sanders. It's the reason you stay away from, from guys like that, because eventually, you know, it's, it's the offensive coordinator just has a philosophy, and the philosophy is get me a fresh back and get me a situational back. And none of those guys get more than 12, 15 touches a game right? So those are your running back threes. They're your running back fours. They're your matchup guys. They're your streamers. Uh, Josh Jacobs last season did very well for me. I had him in a lot of my experts leagues. He did very well for me last season because I, I was able to get him as my running back three. He performed more like a running back two. So I, 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 I like Jacobs last year, this year. No, I think he's being overdrafted this year because I think people are looking at last year's performance. I think, now, I don't think they trade him, William. I think he's too valuable a commodity, and if they were going to let him go, they should have done it before the draft <laughs> or right after the draft. Um, I think this thing of waiting until another team gets a running back hurt, that never works out. You know, people, I- always, oh, people always think it's a great strategy. It's not. If you have a good player, if he fits into your system, you play him. If he doesn't fit into your system, you get rid of him ASAP because you don't want to expose him to everybody else, is not being a not being a fit for your system, right? You want you want it, like especially with a player like Jacobs who had a really solid twenty twenty one. If you were going to move him, move him, move him while his value is at the highest, while people still remember last season, you know, yeah, you don't you don't move uh, him now.
0: He uh, McDaniel's has not been the head coach for long. I mean, he got hired right. in the offseason. but at the end of the day, I can't argue with you on the logic. Uh, but I think each situation is different. So, sure. for example. I can see the 49ers say they're not going to cut uh, 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 Jimmy Garoppolo uh, because that's what teams, they're like, you're, you're paying too much. So there's a strategy right. for each one. They're waiting for something to happen. And, and you're right. Usually the big blockbuster deals happened in the past during training camp because somebody got hurt and it was a, a player available. But those were happenstance. So for teams to plan on that, it truly is unpredictable. And it could create a negative locker room if the personalities aren't clashing well because the player thinks I'm going to be traded, they don't want me. And it looks at the coaching staff in a negative light. You know, and one final comment on running backs or any position, when we say avoid them, uh, right now, it's a general talk, meaning every play, Josh Jacobs is value. So at a certain point, you you can't pass him up, saying it's the 12th round. I'm just throwing the uh, around. Right, I, right,
1: right, right, right. You know,
0: it's like, it because, whoa, okay, it, 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 if I pick him up here, I can afford to dump him. So do not just write off any player because they may have, that, that includes Deshaun Watson and players like that. All right, then let's move on to the QE battles. John, there are three QB battles happening in the NFL right. at this moment. And that is with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, let's let's hit that one first. And then we'll talk about the Panthers and we'll talk about the, the Seahawks. We can't go too much into depth people only because of the fact that it's still early. They're getting ready right. to, you know, still early in preseason, but, but we can gain a sense of what we're seeing and we think our analysis will will come and, and bear true. First of all, we got three people competing uh, in Steelers camp. And that is Mitch Trubisky, who they paid, I think, like $14 million for a couple of years. And that's big money for the Steelers. Uh, Mason Rudolph, their now veteran backup who was drafted with the hopes of possibly taking over when Big Ben uh, uh, ended his tenure. And then there's a young, fresh rookie who is very polished, Kenny Pickett, but who did not have a great college year, but came on his senior year. And that's what kind of... Vaulted uh, him into the first round. Right now, Big John Mike Tomlin is saying, "Hey." I love the athleticism of uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky, how he handles the ball, his speed, his quickness, you know, and then Mason Rattle uh Mason Rudolph got a great deep ball. And then Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett's just sound all around. Nothing rattles him. I, I, he's so positive. And and forgive my terrible Mike Tomlin invitation. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Mike Tomlin has a much deeper voice than you do.
0: Yeah, Mike Tomlin's very yeah. real. That's what I love about yeah. him. He doesn't sugarcoat things, but yeah. he's sugarcoating it here. Yeah. Per uh, report. But reports are stating that Mitch Trubisky is not looking sharp, you know, uh, and and it's his job to lose is pretty much what it's come down to. If there's a race here, it's going to be between Mason Rudolph and and Mitch Trubisky. What I see happening, if everything stays the same and there's no drop off, Trubisky wins that role, but he's not a lock to keep the job mason rudolph has not shown flashes of greatness but he's shown well above average flashes of competence and being able to lead the team being a game manager what are your thoughts in this battle and 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 then give me your fantasy take
1: yeah look um i think it's trubisky's job to lose like you said i think he probably should be the starter regardless um unless Pickett comes on i don't think mason rudolph is is ticketed for the starting job. He's, he's a backup at best. The only question is, is he a number two or a number three? And if he's a number three, do you keep him at all? Um, That, that to me is the way I would view that depth chart. Quite honestly, look, Trubisky is a former number two pick overall. He's shown competence. You have to take into account that when he was a starter, he was with the bears and he was rushed into starting. He had a horrible offensive system. There were times where he, where he showed some potential, And look, his first instinct was to start running because quite honestly, he was running for his life. Most of the time, he had a horrible offensive line most of his years there.
0: Right. I I agree. And now Mitch Trubisky is somebody you just avoid on the draft just because the expectations of his value, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You could probably grab him on the waiver wire. And for the record, I apologize. 26 million for two years. So yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: it's and it's not like anybody on Pittsburgh is anybody a fantasy ownership draft. Let's 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 just get that out right 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 away. We're discussing more the football perspective, not the right, fantasy right, perspective. Right, right.
0: We're just so good at fantasy I can't help
1: it. Awesome. <laughs> right. Well like, well hey, well dude, the the in Pittsburgh, here's the ideal situation, honestly, is you say Trubisky starts for me this year. Pickett learns, like right, exactly in, in an ideal situation. Pickett holds a clipboard for this year, is not put in any games. It'll be Trubisky starting, Mason Rudolph backing him up. Then, when you go into twenty twenty three, you're hoping that uh, that um, that uh, Pickett has shown enough where he can start, and then Trubisky slides into the veterans backup, and Mason Rudolph is no longer part of your team. I don't think much of Mason Rudolph. I've seen him play over the years. The best thing he ever did was get hit by Miles Garrett over the head with a helmet. That was it.
0: Actually, you know, he, he's 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 a Brissette. J- J- uh, 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 what's his first name? Jacqueline or uh, Brissette with the uh, Browns right Jacoby, now. Jacoby. Uh, Jacoby Brissette, yeah. So I view him along those lines. So I believe he can come in and, and start for the team, but he's not the, their long-term answer. I think he stays the backup. I disagree with you because if Trubisky plays uh, with the talent they thought he had, he he's your starter for years.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And
0: Pickett can learn in two to four years and take off uh, as a free agent. That's just what happens sometimes. Well, right? yeah, but you don't know, so they're just gambling because they're not paying much to Trubisky and the rookie contract. So it, they have a time to develop and see what plays out.
1: I, I agree with you, except that you drafted Pickett number fifteen overall, and he's he was the only first round quarterback. So
0: right, right. But the he'll get his win. chance.
1: He'll get his yeah. chance. There's no doubt. Yeah, I just yeah, think yeah, that chance. Good, yeah. I think that chance comes next season though, and I think okay. that'll be right because he wasn't—he wasn't a surefire first rounder. He's someone that they thought, you know, like a Mac Jones type. To be honest with you, I think. Oh yeah,
0: and those are second and third round picks in my
1: eyes. Yeah, and Mac Jones. Look, Mac Jones, talent wise, eh, average, but he's a leader. He takes the control of. The offense in the team as a rookie, I think, you know, I think Pickett's in that mold, quite honestly. Right. So, so we'll see what happens. But I listen, you're right. I thought the Trubisky signing in Pittsburgh was a fabulous move. I think, you know, he showed that he could be a good teammate backing up Josh Allen. You didn't hear peeps out of him last year, nor should you have. Josh Allen is like a top three, four quarterback now, right? Well,
0: hold on, hold on. Josh Allen was was worse off than Pickett two years ago in terms of of his erratic, his interceptions, his ability to read. He, he was knocked like a, as a potential bust, and then with with the uh, they completely turned around. And my point isn't that the knock on Allen. My point is is Trubisky was a year there. What did Trubisky learn? But let's go on. Yeah, let's move on. Uh, the battle in Carolina: Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. What I've been learning is that it's mayfield's job to lose i'm not too keen on the reports i'm hearing out there because i still want to see them play in in preseason games because darnold understands and knows that offense we're hearing that mayfield is is really clicking with the offense but as you said earlier at the start of the show everybody's playing like Joe Montana running like Franco Harris and blitzing like, like Harry Carson and LT, you know? So I'm going to see these games. I'll be honest with John. I don't think anybody knows what's happening and the fantasy owners. I'm like, just completely stay away from this because you want to see some upside develop right now. It's a training camp battle. Mayfield to lose because they don't trade. They don't create this whole hoopla drama to get Mayfield and to tell him you got a battle for the job. That's coach speak. Unless Mayfield falls flat on his face, I believe it's his job to lose. And if I'm Darnold, I keep wishing I could get traded.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think it's Mayfield's job. I don't care what comes out of there. I think, you know, first of all, no matter what else you think of him, Mayfield's a playoff quarterback. He he's, he's been he's been to the postseason, and yeah. I think deep down he's a leader. He's a good leader. I think other teammates res- respect him now obj aside i think other players in cleveland liked mayfield no one no one ever thought of him as being a wuss or anything like that so i think it's mayfield's job to lose i agree with you 100 percent, and i would be totally shocked totally shocked if he's not under center under center week one and for the whole season quite honestly well, barring this injury is
0: the dilemma this is why you stay away from him This, I think they have a terrible head coach. I think they had a a head coach at Baylor was beating scrub after scrub after scrub and really doesn't know pressure situations. Doesn't know how to handle conflict. Doesn't know how to handle uh, a quarterback. You know, when you're in college, you got the best of the best. Right. You know, so so I think there's a serious chance we have a rotating QB, and that just team is just destroyed this year. I have no confidence in them. I watch them go ten and two uh, as they head into the playoff, into the into the final training.
1: Yeah, but listen, in general, and let's let's just preface this as we go through this. In general, if there's a quarterback battle in August in 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 training camp for a team, you're not drafting any of those guys, no matter who yeah. wins. Like, uh, Look, if there's a quarterback battle in San Francisco between Trey Lance and Garoppolo, I'm not taking either one of them. I don't care who they are. Like if if, if the coach isn't going into August saying he's my starter at under center, I don't have any confidence in him as a fantasy owner because of of various reasons. The most important of which you said is there's plenty of depth at the position. So why take a risk on any of these people? Maybe if you're in the dynasty league or something, you might look into it but honestly it's not worth it. So so let's let's put that as the underlying theme here. All these quarterback battles are more from a football perspective that we're exactly. talking, from, not from a, from a fantasy exactly. perspective. From a fantasy perspective, it's like this is like radio radioactive. Stay away from all of them.
0: Well, well, in, in defensive fantasy, in, in in large keeper leagues where they keep like I've been in a couple of them in the past where they
1: dynasty twenty
0: four yeah. players. You know, yeah,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. yep. Yeah. Dynasty. All, league, right. Yep. <laughs> all
0: right, let's head to our last QB battle, and I got to be honest, John. I am rooting for both these guys. I was not a Geno Smith fan coming out of college. Arrogant, without the the the, uh, he couldn't walk the walk despite all the talk he talked. But I've grown to like him because he stuck around. He kept his mouth shut. He, I mean, he's become a, that that consummate team player in many ways. And Drew Locke, I'm sorry, counting Peyton Manning's final season there, it's just been a nightmare of an offense. And I'm sorry. It's easy to always blame the the player, but at the end of the day, that offensive scheme has everything to do with the player's success or failure. And Drew Locke was highly touted coming out and he's not untalented. So I don't know who I want to win the battle, but if I'm the Seahawks, I would want Drew Locke to win because he's only 25. Right. whereas Geno Smith is older and uh, been a veteran for many years now. So It's one of those battles, Geno Smith is getting the majority of the the reps. It looks like it's his job to lose. And that's kind of what I envision happening, John, is Geno Smith wins the job. They develop Drew Locke. And maybe sometime as the season plays out, you start to see a bit more of Drew Locke. Your thoughts?
1: Uh, I tend to agree with you. Like My gut feeling is that of the two, Locke has the higher ceiling. Yeah. Um, I just think he's more talented than Geno Smith. Geno Smith is a professional backup at this point. I think he always was. I think he always was. Even when the Jets drafted him in the second round, I always thought he was nothing more than a backup. Um, right. And I think he's proven that. He's a, he's a guy that when, like, when Russ, uh, Russell Wilson got hurt, you bring him in, have him turn around, hand off the ball 25 times a game. No, oh, come
0: on. He's not that much of a backup. He can throw the ball. He, yeah, yeah. Like, but, just I just mean, the, look,
1: listen, he's, he's – a, a, I think he's a good backup. He's one of the better backups. Now, having said that, Drew Locke is wildly inaccurate. He could, like, he has, like, how you could miss all those receivers that he had in Denver consistently um, is, is beyond me. And you could see that if you looked at the deep analytics last season when Bridgewater was starting over Locke, you could see that Bridgewater, as limited as he is, was much better in getting the ball to his receivers. Like all their catch rates went up for the most part, and I'm talking about guys like Tim Patrick, uh, Jerry Judy, uh, uh, when he was playing Cortland Sutton, even Hamler, all of them. So Drew Locke, I think, has the higher he has higher ceiling. He's better out of the pocket. He has more mobility, um, and I think, but what I do see happening is probably a situation where one guy starts like 10 games and the other one starts seven. I, I think it's a total mess out there and it'll be nothing but three yards in the cloud of dust with Rashard Penny and whoever else they got going. Uh, Kenneth Maxwell, whoever it is in Seattle. I think it's just going to be run, <laughs> run, run, punt, run, 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 punt.
0: Well, here's my,
1: t- which is here's a shame t- considering their receivers. When you have well, Metcalf same, and locket, it's like, you got to get them the ball. Huh? Oh yeah. yeah big, hit. Hit. big hit. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, here's my take on everything of you said, of what you said, which is true. My issue is coaching again, the schemes and coaching. You, the, uh, a young player like like Locke has to learn to develop with the speed. Every quarterback will tell you, it's the speed of the game that changes. Right. Two, you gotta have reps. You know, and 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 when you're a young QB going into a QB battle with a veteran like Terry uh, Bridgewater, Terry, Bridgewater's gonna win unless the coaches favor the younger guy. A lot of these battles that we have seen over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the coach favors somebody. So it doesn't matter if they're equal, the favorite of the coach, the coach is always going to put them in a better position. Whether it's subconscious, it's human nature. Right. And, I think, I think they wrote off Drew Locke early last year. And I'll be honest, uh, I viewed Fangio just like you viewed Geno Smith. Uh, in the sense, Smith being a backup QB, I view Fangio as nothing but a defensive coordinator at best. He's not head coach material. It was one of the worst signings that could have happened under the Elway regime and wanting to 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 to, to change the team. After Peyton Manning, that team has gone downhill, I believe, because of the front office making bad and poor decisions. So from a fantasy perspective, people – you stay away from this battle completely. And right. those are some of the battles going on. There's more battles, but this is a little bit of a newbie show, and we didn't talk about that early on. But the fantasy takes and, and this and this NFL football information, a lot of veterans are, will, will have known this or are aware of this. But, J- John, how many fantasy owners do we know don't pay attention, and then they come to the draft. Now I'm talking old school here. They would come to the draft with that the, that magazine that was printed back in, in in March or April. Now, and that still holds true today. A lot of casual players they don't know, player news. Right. Where's it at? What, right, what's your right. website? What's this? You know. So so this is a great show that's coming up, or we're doing for for newbies. And speaking of newbie advice, let's talk about some of the the things newbies must do in fantasy football. My first take to everybody When to draft draft the week of you're going to sacrifice that Thursday night games, but that backfires on so many people. They'll waste that high pick on that player who had that three touchdown week one game. And then the player disappears, you know, or they'll spend a higher draft pick on that unknown player that came out of nowhere. And they end up waving them two weeks later. I believe the best time to draft is the week of the NFL season that Saturday. Thursday games have been played. You draft Saturday. You know who's starting. You know who's playing. What's what's one of your tips there, John?
1: Well, well, let's also um differentiate this. Uh a lot of times it's not up to a newbie when 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 to draft, right? It's when your commissioner and the rest of the league decides to draft, right? Oh, yeah, but, you vote on it. Right. Well, if you're the commissioner or if you have a say in it, you want it as late as possible. Now, week of. Uh, I guess it depends on your draft in the sense that, is it an email draft? Is it a slow draft? Is it, you know, like, so for example, if you're meeting in person, yeah. That weekend before week, uh, the weekend before kickoff, perfect time to draft, right? Most of it, most, if not all of the battles, positional battles are done. Uh, People who are going to get cut have been cut, you know, like uh, bubble players have been decided So, yeah, so this year, I think, uh, kickoff is, what is it, September 9th, Thursday or something? So the weekend before, you know, um, if you do that live. If you're doing a slow draft, you might want to start, like, the Thursday before the Thursday game. So so you get a full week if you're doing one of these drafts that's like six hours per pick or four hours per pick, you know, when you have 12 guys and then everyone's busy. We're all adults. We all have jobs, you know. So if it's one of those drafts you do it a week ahead of time.
0: I'll be honest. I've never done a draft. <laughs> Excuse me. I've never done a draft through email except some expertly drafts. And that's been right about it. So I, I would, I would imagine email drafts probably don't exist. And most online drafts are even quicker than showing up in person, but showing up in person, you have to set up draft board, this or that, the, the, the online draft. So, so yeah. I will stretch it out by saying the week of, but drafting that weekend before the Thursday games is fine too. Yeah. I just love drafting at the very last minute so I know exactly what right. is up, you know. So, another tip are cheat sheets. The technology is there back when, when when Big John and I started. I don't know how John did it, but I would create Excel spreadsheets, all the formulas in there, make sure that sort of method is done, properly done and uh input the rules and and based on my rankings I would have a customized cheat sheet. It's much right. easier now. Now, so many rules are already inputted for for most leads, Uh, and some of the software out there, most of it. And if it doesn't have this capability, move to a different software. You can put your rules in there. Right. Never have a cheat sheet that is not based on your rules. Period. What's your yeah. take?
1: No, that's absolutely true. Like I mean, and that goes hand in hand with understanding the rules. Like the two go together, right? Like first. To- to be able to generate those cheat sheets or find them, you have to understand what the rules are. So, most leagues now I'd venture a guess are PPR leagues, point per reception leagues. So that means that, um, generally speaking, you get uh, you you're taking offensive players only, uh, for the most part. Maybe a defensive team, and it's basically you get uh, for, if you're for quarterbacks, you get one point for every twenty five yards uh, passing. If you're a runner or a receiver, you get one point per per 10 yards rushing and receiving, you know, like, so they, they all count the same, but in the PPR league, uh, you also get one point for every reception. So that makes a different types of positions more valuable. And there are certain players that become more or less valuable, depending on whether you're in a PPR league. And that's the perfect example is running backs A running back like Derrick Henry, who in a, in all leagues is pretty good. But in a PPR league, because he's not a good, he, he's not involved in the, in the passing game, he gets devalued. And that doesn't mean right. he goes from like 3 to 20. No, he drops out of the
0: first round, though. But or he's, goes to the very end of the first round. Right,
1: he's like a top seven back, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. you find other bargains in PPR leagues, like J.D. McKissick in, in uh, Washington. Uh, that guy, because of his constant receptions and yards and things like that, uh, as a receiver out of the backfield, moves up in PPR leagues court, uh, Cordaro Patterson last year, because he was a receiver who just lined up in the backfield. Right. Literally. Um, that guy was more valuable in a PPR league. Um, certain right. backs are more valuable in standard leagues. Standard leagues are just basically touchdown driven leagues. Mm-hmm. So someone who like, uh, um, James Conner in Arizona last year had 18 touchdowns, I think 16, 18 touchdowns. That guy was super, like he was valuable in every league. But in standard leagues, that guy was gold, right? Because no one came close to him, you know, in terms of uh, running the ball in. So well, hold on,
0: hold on, I got a name for you. What's that? Larry Centers.
1: Oh, Larry Centers was a fullback.
0: Yeah. Would probably rush the ball a couple of times a game, but would have six, seven catches. You know? Oh, and,
1: uh, wasn't he the first running back to have over 100 receptions in the season?
0: I can't remember it, but he was so long ago. I think for, so. Yeah. John's, John's point is clear. The scoring rules will dictate the value of your players. And speaking of value, let's move the, the value of tiers. My company was one of the very first companies to start doing tiers. It's nothing special. It's common sense. What I hate are the people who claim credit for value-based drafting. Because I'm like, only a stupid fool would believe that. Because every draft, you're drafting based off value. It's like it's one of the most stupidest concepts. But that's America. where It's kind of like... Television, I loathe, loathe when you see something like, like I'm a big Sookie stack Stackhouse. That was the Vampire series by Charlene Harris, and then when when HBO did it, created by Alan Ball. I mean, he didn't create anything, and, and so it's a constant theft of stuff that's already. Wait a, a second. Up. So we're
1: not we're not calling out the people who who claim ownership nah, of I'm too old. You I don't, don't want to do that. You don't want to.
0: It's because I'm looking for a fight. I answer <laughs> a fight. I don't pick a fight. Now, but, but said, we but we
1: do know who it is. Let me, yeah, Just yeah, some people yeah. out there. Yeah. Like, if you want to send us a private email, we might be inclined to answer. <laughs> We're not just making this up well, for drama.
0: You, you know, John, John, guys, everybody out there, John wasn't really the seminar guy. I was going to every single seminar and people, and I'm five foot seven. I'm very emotional and I got a mouth. People eventually learn not to really argue with me because I would argue back. Right. And, I would, and, and, and it'd be two o'clock in the morning and I'd be outside their door. Bah! you know so uh uh, because i I have beliefs that's what made our company great now tiers tiers is when you have three or four players or five to six or if the draft gets uh, the numbers get bigger the tiers grow bigger and that is set up so if the guy you wanted is ranked number number eight but your tier has from from say six through ten You've got a selection of four people within that tier. And that's extremely important because one of the greatest newbie errors is they just fall in love with that one player. And then when that player gets taken, they're at a complete loss because they didn't prepare on on who to take if he was gone. And as silly as that sounds and as stupid as that sounds, we've all gone through that. We'll have our backup players, but we don't really consider them or really look at them hard because we want that one player. Uh, So so John, uh, that's the value uh, 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 of tears. What about the value of player news?
1: well, player news is critical, right? Because as you're going, uh, first of all, there's the basic player news is someone injured or not. Right. That's, that's the most basic one where, you know, now most leagues now, if you play online, will will have an injury designation. Right. But what, what's even critical within that is when someone's questionable, right? What does that mean when someone's probable, what does that mean? So when I used to write my models, um, but the job,
0: well, we're talking on draft
1: day, though. Oh, on draft day. Well, on draft day in particular, the player news becomes important for two reasons. One is injury. But less than that, it's how people are feeding, fitting into schemes. Right. For example, uh, we just talked about Josh Jacobs. Perfect example. If you looked at last year's performance, you'd be like, man, good running back. Maybe I'll take him as my RB2 somewhere. I'll put him in that tier of running back twos. But then you got to look at it read the news, Josh McDaniels. He's a, he's a, he's a committee guy. He wants a committee of running backs, new England, look at the history of new England. Then you start hearing, why are there rumors of him being traded? Even though we don't think he'll be traded. Why are there even rumors that he's being traded? So you got to dig, you got to dig and figure out, um, you know, and that applies to even things like um, Roquan Smith in Chicago, where's he going to go to? Cause he asked for a trade. Who? <laughs> Roquan Smith, the linebacker.
0: I am just playing the newbie. <laughs> yeah, but
1: here's the thing, right? You might say, if you're not in an IDP league, which is individual defensive player leagues, you're saying, why do I care where a linebacker ends up, right? Well, if a linebacker ends up on a team that has a better defense as a result or, or an elite defense as a result, odds are it's going to affect their offensive scheme.
0: I got one. Khalil Mack, when he went to Chicago, elevated that team for fantasy purposes because of his sack ability. And when you're a sacker, that creates some fumbles at times.
1: But offensively, it meant the offense didn't have to take as many risks. Yeah. Because you knew you had a defense now, much like the Ravens. One of the reasons the Ravens can run the ball constantly is because they have a great defense they know that if they score 14 to 17 points they're in a the game because their defense traditionally would hold people right around that 14 16 point mark per game so you knew that hey i don't have to throw th- i don't have to throw 30 35 times a game why would i why like what was that old saying when you throw a pass three things can happen two of them are bad Right, so so why would you do that? You'd rather run the ball and be more secure. So that's why yeah. these player news are are very critical. Also, uh, news about contracts whether whether players are happy about their contract, right. or holding right. out. Right. Um, right. Listen, in today's world with social media, I'm always attuned to are players happy. I know it sounds weird. Like, look, when William and I started, folks, a player being happy meant nothing to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? A, we didn't know about it. B, we wouldn't care even if we did. Now, like, is Kyler Murray embarrassed that they basically wrote into his contract that he has to do homework four hours a week?
0: Well, well, in his defense, John, they pulled that out. But, But that said, your player news content is outstanding in terms of how you look at it. And this is what I tell people. If you're just starting out, Go and do a position breakdown at at Roto-World, Roto-Wire, or some of these places that specialize in player news. Read each position two to four weeks back, and then every day when you get up, when you hit the head, whenever, you just read the overall player news. And you will be shocked at how much you retain come draft day. And that's how you stay on top of everything. Now, then there's playing the matchups. And my point is certain positions like a wide receiver or a tight end position you can. You don't have to sit there and stress yourself out. I've got to get seven starters, seven starters. No, you've got to get a minimum of three steady starters, hopefully a fourth quality starter, and then you can play the matchups. And the matchups, meaning if the week comes and they're playing a weak defense that gives up 50 points through the air, I mean, you can figure it out. You know, oh, I need to go pick up a, a, a receiver in the waiver wire. And that's what I mean by playing the matches. So come draft day, you gotta build your core starting lineup, and then strategy kicks in. And part of that is having studied and understanding if I uh, I can take a risk on this long shot player. You, that's when all the training camp news of how good these rookies and these these second and third players are doing, you take a shot at one. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't perform, you toss him. What about the bye weeks, John? You know, there's so many different philosophies mm. with bye weeks. What's your take?
1: My take is I try to avoid them, meaning that positionally, I, I never try to have an entire group on by the same week. Now, um, th- I, I admit mine is not necessarily the best or only philosophy, right? There are people who say when you're drafting, just draft the best player, the best player you could get at the position of need that you have. And don't worry about the bye week. If it turns out that you that week eight you, all three of your running backs are on buy, you just you concede the week because you're making up for it. If you really have three great right. running backs every other week, um, I don't necessarily buy into that because I don't like the idea of conceding a week. Only I've
0: never be- bought into it.
1: Yeah, I've never bought into it simply because I think there's so much variability. Now, people who you know this. Sports grumblings, initially the original sports grumblings, when it was just a fantasy site was very heavy on player matchups and consistency. We were like, I was the first guy to really put analytics behind that. And one of the things I could tell you is, or two things I could tell you is, one, consistency is an underrated quality to look for in players. Meaning that if you look at averages, right, they don't tell you how that average, right? a player who gets 10 points a game for 4 games, right? His average is 10 points a game. Right. A player who gets 10 20 30 40 in that you know, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, 10 20 10 20 for example, is still 10 points a game. But guess what? It's a different thing, right? So knowing the upside. Yeah, there's an upside and a downside, then there's the consistent guy, right? So I the idea of giving up a week Knowingly, it's risky to me. But I will admit I have seen guys pull it off in expert leagues where, you know, great players fell into their laps that just happened to be in the same bye week. But those are rare. You know, like if if you got if you got Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, and um, Christian McCaffrey all going in in your draft if by some weird thing you got them all on your team and they all had the same bye week, I would take the I would take the hit on that week, right? No, I agree,
0: John. I, I think there's two trains of thoughts. I used to follow the the original train, make sure your bye weeks don't screw you up. And then I realized that that was kind of ignorant. I say ignorant meaning you're naive, you don't realize it. Stupid is when you realize something and you keep doing it. Well I was a bit ignorant because I realized as the season went on, some of those bye weeks are week eight, ten, twelve, you know? Yeah. And by that time, all my worry, half those guys were off my roster. So I don't worry about bye weeks. I have been in the situation you've been, you mentioned in terms of having three players going and I just try to maximize the other positions. Uh, Maybe I'll pick up that scrub, that, that scrub guy that's averaging maybe 10 targets a week, not 10 points, but at least he's going to have the opportunity. You look for the matchup. I tell people, Ignore the bye weeks, but you don't want to have a team of 20 and 12 of your players on one bye week. You know, don't be dumb neither.
1: Yo, you know? let me throw this in about bye weeks. I, I'm glad you mentioned that it. it kind of triggered something in my head. The one thing you will want to pay attention to is if your star players have bye weeks late in the season, meaning it during your fantasy playoffs. That's something you have to consider because if your best player is your running back and he's got to buy week 11, say week 11, for most leagues is probably the first round of your playoffs. Week 12 might be the first round of your playoffs. That's right. And if that's the case, you have to have a contingency. If you're in a flex league, maybe instead of getting a backup tight end, you try to get a third wide, a fourth wide receiver that you could flex into that position. Actually,
0: you're right, John. Yeah, That happened to me with the quarterback position as maybe six, seven years ago. I don't even know what quarterback, but I found myself scrambling and I managed a QB. Just the goal was fill in the slot and pray. Right the guy you're playing in the first round has the same problem. So no, that, that's a great point. Uh, real quick, what about depth charts? Uh, well, actually, let me get my take first, then I'll get yours. Uh, this, Cause this always excites me. I always tell people print out every depth chart and they're like, why? Well, it doesn't matter if you're a veteran, or a newbie, because when you get that deep and you're looking at flyers, it's and you have a minute to make your pick. It's easy to forget, but when you have that depth chart there, you can easily go instead of going Joe Schmuckatelli, and you look down on your depth chart. Oh, hell, he's number five on the depth chart. Oh, hell, the third receiver, you know, Schmuckatur was still available. You know, so so it's important to have depth chart just for that reason alone. Once you get into round eleven through the end if you're a newbie right. depth charts will save you am i wrong or right john
1: your thoughts i like depth charts printing them out i will caution newbies though there's a definite difference between nfl depth charts and fantasy depth charts so for example one of the best sites that i use it for research is our lads if you've ever been to ourlads.com oh, yeah. dan shanka and, and and i think his wife actually run the site um you look at his college and NFL depth charts. They're the best best depth charts in the business for the NFL, for right. the game of football. What's difficult to divine though, from those depth charts is how it translates to fantasy. And what I used to do for fantasy depth charts is I'd either go to a site that I trusted, knew how to move them around, or I built my own and being a, da- a data analyst like yourself, I built my own depth charts based on percentage of usage, percentage of touches, percentage of offensive snaps, things like that. And I built my own depth chart because what I came to realize was depth charts are so critical, not just for the draft, but in season as well, because you you will be faced with a situation where there's no good pick. Excuse me. All your tears have been exhausted. Uh, all of a sudden, while you're drafting, five guys got hurt. I think last season was one of those years, or two seasons ago, with COVID. You, you know, like oh yeah, the
0: players I, just not playing that
1: not year. Not playing, or they all of a sudden get quarantined or whatever, and you'd be like, oh my yeah. god, who's the fourth guy on the, who's the fourth receiver on on the Broncos or whatever, right? So, what's good is in a lot of these cases because I had spreadsheets and I had. Database is going right. I'd be like, "Well, this guy is fifth on the depth chart at wide receiver," but I noticed that when he plays, he gets twelve percent of the offensive snaps. So a up. One. what's that? Barry
0: centers is a better example. Yeah, Barry centers with a fullback. Nobody ever in the NFL, a fullback's job is to block. Period.
1: In the old so days, yep, you're right. Heat
0: he perspectives, he perspectives, he falls Or actually, he validates your belief right there completely. Now, luckily, though, at that point in the draft, when you're going flyers, NFL and fantasy tend to be kind of similar because it's a bit of a guesswork. But John's point is don't assume NFL depth charts are gold based off your scoring rules because they're not related right. and you're right dan shank has been around for years i forgot who he bought our lads from but he bought our lads from somebody else yeah was, i don't remember I, who yeah. it's a great it's a great source the probably, play, probably
1: mr our lad
0: <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember it's a name we know but, yeah. but, but i forgot uh, uh but for the record Joe Buscaglia from Pro Football Weekly was seen as the preeminent draft specialist, and he would create death too, you know. Uh, the final note for newbies are backup players. Now, it, this doesn't hold as true as it used to, and it's pretty much one position, the running back position. But I believe it's still important if you take uh, a Derrick Henry, for example, who's this backup at least know who it is be aware of them but sometimes it's not worth handcuffing that backup because the backup is just that a backup and will probably be cut on some other team you know sometimes salary cap dictates the quality of backups right. and things of that nature but depending on when the injury happens there may be a lack of quality players so having the backup regardless is not a bad thing to do because if there's no other starters out there and you have the backup, at least you know that backup is going to see a, a, an X amount of touches. So it, it, it's one of those catch 22s You got to be smart about it. You got to know who you want to handcuff going into the draft. Meaning, if I draft this running back, I'm going to have to draft his backup later in a draft. Now with all this, 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 uh, uh committee. It, it changes it. You're not really ba- drafting a backup as much as 1A, 2B, you know, so there is a difference. So it's changed. It's a case-by-case. Yeah. Case. Your thoughts, John?
1: Yeah, I see, I never bought into the handcuff theory. I'll be honest with you, going back for years, because my guess is in most redraft leagues, which is what the majority of newbies play in, right, they're, they're, meaning that there's no holdover players from year to year. There's no keepers. Think about it. By the time you get to draft a handcuff, there's probably a running back three or a running back four that will outperform the handcuff. Right. And it's a wasted spot. I'd rather roll with a starter on another team. Now, having said that there's very notable exceptions. Why? Because there's certain backup runners who are very good. And the guy ahead of them is very injury prone. Right. So I'm thinking that's my point. I'm thinking (laughs) of Dalvin cook in Minnesota. If I have Dalvin cook in Minnesota, who is a fantastic back. I love Dalvin cook as a player and as a fantasy prospect, guess what? Alexander Madison, his backup is a very capable handcuff and Dalvin cook for the most part will miss three, four games a season. So you got to, if, if I have Dalvin cook at some point, I don't need to take him right away. Even maybe on waivers, I'm picking up Alexander Madison. If I have Nick Chubb in Cleveland, I want, kareem hunt for two reasons right they split the row they split the load and under baker Mayfield, they were very run heavy which meant both of them look kareem hunt would get 14 15 fantasy points a game even in the backup role right but also kareem hunt is super talented people forget like before he got cut by kansas city for off the field issues didn't he lead the league in rushing as a rookie he was a great player who was a reclamation project on the morals charge in Cleveland, basically. So now whether that's the same or not this year with the Sean Watson, whatever, I don't know. My guess is Kareem hunt is value. I can't think of too many other running backs where I would say handcuff them, like maybe in Washington, Antonio Gibson and McKissick, uh, well, but but McKissick is so good in PPR leagues, people he'd probably be drafted by someone else as their RB three right. RB four anyway. But I mean, yeah, well, that that's is, really what I said. The only it breaks ever.
0: down to the situation: what player are we talking about? Because this is what happened in the fantasy and football world early on in the '90s into the 2000s. You had a cowbell, you know. You, you still had the cowbell running back, so handcuffing it wasn't uh, 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 such a bad idea. So most people did because. Injury, uh, but usually that hand that that cowboy was pretty strong. So, what happened though is those early years of people handcuffing, they started to realize, well, that that handcuffs never playing and I need that slot. So, what happened was people wouldn't draft the backup, but when their player went down, their backup was usually taken by somebody else. So, it's a situation where I have drafted the backup, I've waived them, uh, then I've gone back the following week and re picked them up. So, so like I said, it, it's one of those games you have to be on top of your league to really grasp it because the worst feeling in the world, and this I have had this experience, they had that backup for six weeks. You put them on the waiver wire, uh, somebody the following week grabs them before you after your starter went down that weekend. That has happened to me. I played in so many leagues, I don't remember what player. I just remember the experience, you know. Sure. So so to you newbies, those are some of the rules and uh look for i actually started laying out an article big john on the newbie Uh, so so hopefully we'll have that up on the site soon but at the end of the day those are some of the basics you need and you must follow if you want to be competitive do not be that newbie who joins the league and is literally giving his money away because you know why guys when you're not around I got such a biggest dumbass like just taking money from McKinley. What an idiot, man! I bet you his wife don't even like. I mean, it's just a it's just a, a snowball that, that goes into a, well, a, a big voter. You know, it's and, like
1: that old po- it's like that old poker saying, right? If you don't know who the fish is in the group, it's you.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and I don't know what that meant, but I understand the gist of it.
1: <laughs> it means if you don't it's know, who, it means if you don't know who the sucker is. If you can't it's spot you. the sucker it's at the table, it's you.
0: Exactly. And I agree with that. You know,
1: and, and uh,
0: we got him a couple of minutes here. So a, a quick tale, I told my friend, this is a newbie. I, I told him this was the year Cordell Stewart went off. I predicted it like right at the turn of the, the century. I think right around 2001, maybe 99. I can't remember. I said, this guy's going to be the bomb. I go, I just took him in a draft, like in the second to last round, he is going to, I go watch it. And it was because he was a rushing quarterback, you know, and, right. and, and those t- touchdowns, what well, does my friend the newbie do? Round one, pick 11.
1: Cornell Stewart!
0: <laughs> and to this day, he will argue how it was a great pick based off of Stewart's numbers, not wanting to acknowledge, yeah, but you could have taken him in round 10, 11, 12, right. yeah, 13, you know? you know? So so let's move on. And well, we're going to move on to a sad um uh, uh, uh section or or, or a segment that's a a sad segment but i don't view it as sad john because these individuals have led long full lives but when you pass away in your 70s 80s and 90s you've lived your life you know and a a big rest in peace to macman pi's roger e mosley who played tc he was a helicopter pilot
1: helicopter pilot yeah
0: you know uh in fact did you know his stunt double used to uh Had to wear a costume, not a costume, but one of those, those, I forget what they call them, those fake suits which had, which had, you know, his pilot. You know, he didn't, he was like you, John. Uh, He didn't drink, smoke, or do drugs. Uh, So, I mean, he was a good guy. He he retired from acting right a little bit, uh, right around 2010, 2014. So he was one of those one hit wonders to the average person because Magnum PI was his greatest role, but he did a lot. He did, he, he yeah. was a character actor. He did a lot. You know, he was a, in a car accident, got paralyzed from the neck down in his eighties and he died. He died not long after. I didn't the realize
1: guy, that. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. But the guy lived the American dream and, and, and to be, and, and you know me, I'm into the identity politics to be a black man in his era to achieve what he did, to have become the role model based on how he lived his life. That's all you can
1: ask of a fellow human being. Uh, what are your thoughts about Magnum and, and TC? Well, what, Well, look, Magnum P.I. in the 80s, for those too young to remember, was one of those cool shows. You know, you watch it because it was cool. Tom Selleck was cool. Um, everything about that show was cool, just like, say, Miami Vice might have been cool. Um, but whereas Miami Vice was more of a fashion cool, you would tune in. And see what, you know, Don Johnson and the other guy, Philip Michael Thomas were wearing with like everyone had their Miami Vice outfit when they went to the club, you know, the white jacket with the neon blue t shirt underneath, you know, um, whereas you watch Magnum PI and it it was, I think, a more entertaining series, in my opinion. And it was funny. It had a sense of humor about it. It didn't take itself too seriously. Right. And right. And, and Rodri Mosley, who played played the character of TC, the helicopter pilot, was the cool guy on the show. Um, he's the guy who always had like that little like, oh man, you know, and and but he was always helping out. He was he was Magnum's best friend and stuff like that. So yeah, it's sad when someone from your youth that you used to watch on TV and think was cool, it's all of a sudden he, you find out he lived sure. to eighty-three and he passed away.
0: Oh yeah, and, and I don't care what the women say. If you get triggered, go bleep yourself. My favorite <laughs> scene was in that opening at the very end of the exact you know what about, where the chick is teaching her how to swim. You know, mm-hmm. every prepubescent teen's fantasy. Great scene. Uh, because what made it so funny was like Magnan looks up like, "What am I supposed to do here?" Now? Yeah, he had like, that
1: look where he rolled his eyes like, Ugh. "Yeah, he's
0: like, oh god, why, why?" You know, but but. You know, Tom Selleck at that time was a huge sex symbol. Those guys were well known. Uh, Great show, great show. And what killed it? Bill Cosby. You know. Now let's move on to to a a sad. To me, it's not sad. Another guy, a patriot actually, who lived a great life. The Dodgers' legendary announcer Vince Scully, and I'll be honest, John. uh, As somebody who was born and raised in a third world country, as an American citizen, I view America as an exceptional country, as a patriot country, uh, as a country full of patriots. He comes from the era when war hit; they stopped what they were doing and they went and served. People forget that about Hollywood. A lot of athletes and actors stopped their careers and they went and served. And uh, uh, Scully was one of those types of individuals. He loved this country. I mean. Only Vince Scully could get away with it not again, get in trouble and blast socialism in Venezuela in an era where we have so much political correctness. But he died. Oh, he'd already retired from his gig. I want to say he was in his 90s. I'm not. To me, he, he, it doesn't hit me like TC, but it does hit me. There's an icon of yesteryear going. And, and I feel for all the fans he had, because he had a lot of inside the baseball fans meaning people who worked the industry right. were very very uh, or uh, uh, held a lot of love towards him what are what's your memories my, my memory again is uh, him being a patriot knocking all the the, 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 the bad people down uh, that's what I remember what do you remember about Vince Colby? I
1: honestly I just remember him calling some of the greatest like I mean didn't he do the um, Kirk Gibson a World Series Homer call? Uh, when oh, yeah, against Oakland Athletics, and, if I remember correctly. Yeah, when he, when he hit it off Eckersley, uh, it was his only appearance of that World Series. The Dodgers yeah. were huge underdogs. He hit that home run, pinch hit home run, I think, uh, limping around the bases. And uh, Kirk Gibson was one of my favorite players, even though the Dodgers were my favorite team. Um, and Vince Scully had that call. Uh, Vince Scully was also a Fordham alumnus, much like myself. So there's, oh, there there's that go. little that bit of a connection I... there too. But just one of those old school baseball broadcasters had a great voice. Like you could tell he was someone who probably started on radio, probably at FUV at Fordham and, um and uh, you know, transitioned to TV. He was the voice of the Dodgers, no doubt. Um, So yeah, it's just one of those things. Like you said, though, he was 94 when he passed away. Um, he had retired, but he worked. He, I think, he was still broadcasting, like you said, almost maybe till he was ninety, but definitely late into his eighties. Well,
0: and he loved, it. He loved
1: he, it. Yeah, and and he was still effective, and he had a very distinctive voice. It wasn't like a deep baritone voice. It wasn't that type of voice, you know. But but it was very distinctive. So yeah, yeah. R.I.P. to him.
0: And and on a uh, uh, on, it's another sad note, but this is a man who transcended life in a way, meaning, I mean, his achievements are beyond scope and what the average person can even dream of doing, and that is a late, legendary Bill Russell. 11-time NBA champion with the Celtics, first Black head coach in the league, uh, was part of the civil rights movement, limited, and I say limited because he had his career, but he made sure the Black man, he knew he had a role in that era, uh, especially being being uh, uh how visible he was. The only downside to it is is today's politicians. They are jumping in as if they were best friends with a guy the way they want to honor. I'm like, yeah I didn't even know him. They didn't even like him. You know, they didn't even know who he was. Uh I could hear Obama. Hello? Hello? You know, and they say, and they speechwriter handsome. Here's what we're going to tweet out. Right. Uh, and I shouldn't let that bother me, but it does. People wanting to, to take advantage to be associated. And a lot of people did, but the ones that I enjoyed were the players who played with them or even the younger players whose paths they cross a uh, 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 winner, a winner, uh, he understood his role in society and, and what he could be and should be. And just an all around guy to where, he, when he when he met his maker, I know it was probably a quick visit and they opened the pearly gates for him. If such a thing exists, what's your take?
1: Well, look, Bill Russell is a basketball player. Um, it, what did it always come down to when he played? It was Bill Russell versus Will Chamberlain. And those yeah, are the classic yeah. battles you think of. Now, a lot of people assume Bill Russell was as big as Will Chamberlain. He wasn't. He was an undersized center, but he played hard, um, and he understood the meaning of team, which is why Red Arbach loved him on the Celtics so much. He was a leader. He he sacrificed his own personal numbers to help the Celtics win all those rings. Uh, What was it, six rings, seven rings? He, uh, uh, he won eleven rings. 11, 11 rings. 11. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what
0: I'm saying. We are Brady with seven rings ago. Oh my God, who's ever going to reach that? And that's a legitimate statement. Yeah, Bill Russell had eleven freaking rings. Now it was a different era. Bill Russell would sure. not have eleven rings that he played today. Uh, John Wooden would not have all those NCAA championships. People don't realize how small the tournament was back then. So yeah. I will acknowledge different era, era. But that's not Bill Russell's fault. No, it's not Bill Russell's fault. That was the era he was born and played with. Because I, I'll tell you this, John, a lot of these players wouldn't the last half a season because they're not conditioned to play that game because it's a much harder physical game with less, uh, right. uh, with officiating, not giving you the call. It, it was just a much tougher and, era to play.
1: And listen, people now in Boston will say, We love Bill Russell. You know, l- let's be honest. And I think Bill yeah. Russell would have been honest. In Boston, he was still the N word. A lot of, a lot of the. Bo- Look, Boston is what it is when it comes to its racial tensions. You know what I mean, and especially in the fifties and sixties, he as much as he produced for them, he wasn't allowed in every restaurant. You know, right, and, right, and right. there were still people who wouldn't let him walk into certain parts of town. Right, so <clears throat> you know, I disagree, John. For this reason,
0: you're right with the average player. But here's the thing people don't realize, going back to the Roman Coliseums and before that, the Greek Games, athletes had the power of persuasion and influence as much as the emperor did, as much as that city-state leader. They're beloved. So you're right. There were probably a few spots, but Bill Russell transcended that. But Bill Russell himself said there were issues. Yeah. But I'm kind of tired, not you, but I'm just kind of tired of people putting it in black and white because life's not black and white. Bill Russell, what people need to realize, was part of the change, meaning people changed opinions about Black Americans because of Bill Russell. You know, So Bill right. Russell had to deal with a lot of that, but Bill Russell was, was, was a man of change that helped bring that change. And I think the negativity we love to dwell on in tribalism uh, uh, drowns out the reality of what actually happened. Meaning we move forward as a country and we forget that a lot of individuals today, and I'm getting political a little bit, but a lot of individuals still think it's, it's 1845. So, you know, 1800, it's not, you no, know, yeah, and now, no. that said, you're right. It was still segregation yeah. in the fifties. You know, yeah. so I don't doubt that. No, no. So agent of change.
1: Right. what I meant to say by that is there's, there's sometimes a habit when remembering someone to, to sometimes gloss over those, those incon- inconvenient sort of facts, right? So for example, as much as Jackie Robinson changed baseball and broke the color barrier and all that, it, you have to remember, Jackie put up with a lot of, lot of crap. And I mean, like death threats and people threaten it, you know, constantly, you know. So, you know, when you, the tendency is for younger people now to say, well, he broke the color barrier and it's almost like they don't understand what that meant you know what i mean right
0: right 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 and, i think what you're saying john it's yeah. a track mind. is is he went through that but before jackie robinson most of the, if not all those players were racist because that's how they've been grown up that's what they've been taught who were the yeah. first ones to stick up for jackie Pee it Wee was Reece. some of those white players on that it team. was
1: peewee reese, pee-wee yeah, reese yeah. in particular stood up for him and he was from the south yeah. but i'm saying just like the fact that he couldn't stay in the same hotel with his white teammates right. a lot right. of times. You know, I agree. Yeah. I and, agree. and Bill Russell, by the way, faced a lot of the same, especially in the 50s and 60s. And then on top of that, he had a bang against Will Chamberlain. Like, you go up, people forget Will Chamberlain was a beast. Well, like, yeah, hold on, John. Who would you rather be, uh, Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain? Will Chamberlain. I'd rather be Will Chamberlain. A, sailor, not even a question. Yeah, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, no, but even even reason. <laughs> yeah, even if we're keeping it PG, though, right? Let's yeah, say we're yeah, keeping it yeah. PG. Yeah, let's think about Bill
0: Russell, actually. Yeah, I, but, I but what I, what I meant
1: in. is, it, the reason I brought that up is to further give an indication of what, what I think was Bill Russell's superior character, meaning that, yes, he was the ultimate team player. and a lot of times will chamberlain got the better of them one-on-one but it was always geared to what was best for the celtics exactly and and that's why now and what i meant is put that in the context that while they were cheering him in boston garden if they ran into him in the italian neighborhood in boston i forget where that is i you know i can almost remember every italian restaurant i've been in in boston but i don't remember the name of the area but that area like I'm sure if he walked around after dark over there, they weren't his buddies. You know what I mean. He still had to put up with the racism there.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I guess what I'm saying, John, and we'll close it out after this is is just the fact that we do ourselves a disservice when we look at. That one lane, when it's a two lane street, sometimes it's a freeway. And on the flip side, it's easy to completely forget the past and honor him for what he's become in our minds versus reality. Because there's a difference. So as much as I want to think that, you know, he was an agent of change, you're right. There were probably nights he went home depressed, angered or whatever, because of, of, of how society was set up. But you're you're not you, but but society does itself a disservice when they don't look at that situation. Then that player individual in that situation and what they created and and, and helped do and, right. and in essence, how we move forward as a society. That's one reason we're so tribal. Nobody wants to move. Forward. I'll be honest. Uh, the other side, I'm a conservative, but the other side doesn't want to move forward. They they keep using the past to create change when Bill Russell was an agent of change and showed how change should happen. So when, when I saw that he passed away, to me, it was a great man who passed away because I of he persevered based on what you said and what he pushed forward. But more importantly, as a sports hero, 11 freaking rings. I so agree. So congrats I agree to with Bill you. Russell. I- his yeah. family, and, and I always say this, it's kind of like a new saying is, and much happiness and success on your next journey. I can't say in life, but on your next journey, because we're beings of energy. And, and with that, John, uh, before I close it out, any final comments to fantasy newbies?
1: Yeah, fantasy newbies. Maybe next show we'll do something where I tell you, uh, now, now William will know, we're not doing the fantasy grind anymore. We're too old for that. But I still have my old uh, theories of uh, something I used to do every year. One, one sports writer's award for it called the best damn draft theory. <laughs> and I will be more than happy to go into that uh, maybe on another episode, but for newbies, the most important thing, pay attention, pay attention. Oh, it's two things for the commissioner collect
0: every dime one week before draft day or have a backup and just dump the guy because it becomes a nightmare all season. And two, if you draft in day, I mean, in one day in person, have a cookout afterwards. That's what yeah. makes it
1: so much fun. Couple of beers and a barbecue. Perfect. Draft. Exactly, exactly. Perfect draft scenario.
0: John, great show. We got to talk our old passion. We got to talk a little bit about my new life in terms of politics and, and, and everything in the middle. You all have been listening to points on the board at sportsgrumblings.com. We urge you to please share because that's how we're growing. And we won't talk about it, but a tidbit is our numbers are starting to improve. We're starting to get take gain traction. So we're happy with sports grumblings, where it's at, but we need your support. And with that, big john in America and the world. Good night.